0: Welcome to what the if Where sometimes language fails
1: us. Well, or we fail language. language. No, I'm not sure. mm-hmm. What is language? Uh, what is kind of exploration we could do with that?
0: Yeah. Well, you're the professor. And if you have to ask what is language, I'm completely... That's literally what I got paid for. That's (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. (laughs) Uh, That is uh, Professor Matthew Stanley. How are you, sir?
1: Uh, I am a professor. um, So uh, that's pretty good. It's a a sweet gig. Nice. So it sounds like things
0: are looking up there because, you know. Oh, yeah. Are you off Zoom or are you are you oh, back no. to no? No. no. Um, yeah.
1: In fact, last week I had one day where I had no Zoom meetings, and it was like the promised land. <laughs> I, I, I had no idea that such a thing could exist. Um, it was. Uh, I, I got to the end of the day, and I was like, "Wait a minute! I haven't clicked join with computer audio once. This changes everything." <laughs> it was really a glorious day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how we're gonna adjust. I think I think there's gonna be a period where people are gonna be sitting together and someone is not, you know, someone's gonna ask a question and there'll be no answers. And the person who asked the question is gonna be like, You're on mute. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that seems almost guaranteed.
0: Yes. Also here, of course, our wonderful co-host, newly raised to super co-host ifer yeah. status i don't know what that what okay. is. we we have no name for ourselves it's like it's like um we Can are like- those yeah we are the ones Pardon. who if <laughs> <laughs> gabby Penicia
2: sounds like a re- i'd get a really big hat so i'm game for it uh, yeah. Okay.
0: yeah oh very nice yes yes i'm sorry yeah so gabby Penicia here from rockefeller university how
2: are things there
0: everybody Pretty back good.
2: Yeah, almost everyone I think has at least one shot now, so it's looking pretty nice at Rockefeller.
0: That's amazing. People out walking on the beautiful campus in this beautiful weather.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a very, it's a very nice campus, and uh, since it's spring, everything is blooming, and we're all kind of losing our minds a little bit that we can be outside and not be as much of a danger to society inherently. It's great.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is amazing. I guess you still have to wear masks, or
2: oh yeah, we're all still masking and social distancing. Yeah. Um, but it's just kind of nice to know that the uh, potential for transmitting it to uh, all your friends and neighbors and you know scientists you respect is uh, significantly lower.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, they're finding. I guess it's funny. It's, it's a slow process, although actually quite fast compared to. Si- I mean, for science, um, but mm-hmm. it seems like we're finding, getting more data, hard data that says, if you do get the vaccine you are not transmitting it to other
2: people. Yeah, it does seem like at the very least, it's like a much, much, much lower rate, Um, which is great. I mean, that's how herd immunity works. It's you're less likely to get it and you're less likely to give it to someone else. So, you know, I encourage anyone listening to get a vaccine if they can.
0: Yeah. And that is the reason, but it's that uncertainty uh, as to whether, well, you might have the vaccine, you might be fully vaccinated, but maybe you're still conveying the virus everywhere you travel, so all those people who have not been vaccinated, you might actually still be bringing it to them. But is that, would that be normal, or it seems to me that it would be an unusual circumstance, they're just trying to be safe?
2: Yeah, that'd be pretty unusual, but you know, we're scientists, so any word out of our mouth means that we're like inherently hedging our bets, Uh, because science, you really like never say never. It's 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 very much like a, only a Sith deals in absolutes. You will never hear a scientist deal in absolutes. We That's will right. always try to like kind of qualify what we're talking about a little.
0: That's right. That's right. Today's episode not sponsored by absolute vodka. <laughs> the only one. We had to put them but on hold. Just for
2: this. by the Sith. Yeah.
0: By the yeah. Sith? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's fine. Um uh but, but but lastly just on that that caution you know how when you have billions of people um th- that little t- what might be a very 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 small percentage of um, people who are vaccinated but still carrying the disease could turn out to be a rather large
2: it's probably not that large actually yeah. it's really not i mean so for example rockefeller does surveillance testing so we actually have fairly okay data on this. Right. We have maybe I think around like 600 fully vaccinated people. Only two people who are fully vaccinated have gotten sick. They had completely mild cases. Um, and, and they were vaccinated with Pfizer and Moderna. So nobody used this as like, see, I told you, Johnson and Johnson is bad. No, they they were fully vaccinated with what you would consider the most efficacious ones. And right. they just got a little bit sick, and then were fine and didn't transmit it to anyone else. So. Pretty good scenario, all things considered. Two out of like 600. I, yeah, I like yeah. those odds.
0: I mean, we'll move on, but just since this is such a hot topic and because you're so in the know, do we know when they might say, if you're vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask?
2: You know, I don't know, but to be perfectly honest, I don't think they should for at least a very long amount of time. A little bit of it is a social thing. We yeah. have no visible way to tell that right. a person isn't who is maskless is also vaccinated. If they gave you a giant rubber stamp to put on your forehead every morning, that might be nice, but it's also, uh, it's very visible, but it's, uh, you know, since we don't have a system like that, it's just kind of like keep wearing a mask. Don't look like an idiot. And, uh, you know, do your part. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Exciting time. Spring is coming, at least in the Northern hemisphere. Um, And the virus is, uh, moving, moving away as this vaccine comes in. So very exciting. Let's, uh, that, that, uh, celebratory spirit, I feel like our, our band really, when they feel start, when they start to feel really good guys, why don't you play your happy music? Oh, there we go. And of course that means the mailbag. What the, if mailbag is here, um, and uh, one quick note from a listener, and then our, our, our if this week is also brought to us by a listener, which is always very exciting. Uh, first, a uh, commentary um, on our Neutrino Eyes episode, for anyone who didn't hear that. Um, he, uh, he or she, they, this person, um, asks to be referred to uh, on the air as just someone from Canada.
1: Mm, that's so, I
0: don't know if they meant to include the just. Probably not. So I'm going to say someone from Canada uh, writes in and says, uh, writes into feedback at whattheif.com or perhaps they contacted us as you can too on the website. Go to whattheif.com and just type us a note right there in the suggestion box. Uh, someone from Canada says, oh boy. Oh, the band got very excited there. All right. Thanks, guys. They're amazing. They're amazing. Uh, go have an obs- absolute on me, gentlemen. Um, I en- someone from Canada writes in and says, I enjoyed the neutrino eyes episode. And that is where we, we imagined, uh, actually, another listener had written in and asked, what if we could see neutrinos with our eyes? And the upshot was, your eyes need to be gigantic. So large that I believe we figured out that if we scaled up just an ordinary human to have eyes large enough to see neutrinos, then you human would be 60,000 feet tall, twice the height of Mount Everest. Um, and someone from Canada said, I enjoyed the neutrinos eyes episode, but I kept thinking a sea creature, which is, we imagined if you had to be that big, maybe you'd be a sea creature. And he has he quotes, so large so large, Solaris. <laughs> referring to the story, but, uh, Solaris. Now, Matt, I, I think this is correct. You know, the the um, I should look this up, but the the author of Solaris, I believe, was uh, the Russian science fiction writer uh, Lev. Um, um good yeah. good okay. good name. If you want, cool. you, you g- yeah. look that up for a second while I read this. That would be so kind. Um, and he says. Stanislav Lem. Stanislav Lem. Stanislav Lem. Thank you very much. Uh, And someone from Canada, SFC, says a creature the size of an ocean, a creature that is an ocean, covering a whole planet, I bet it can see quite a few neutrinos. Yes, a creature the size of a whole planet. Mm -hmm. Is cool. Um, And it makes neutrino based replicas of people. From Your Most Painful Memories. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's the story of Solaris. Yes. I have not actually read the book, I am sad to say. I have seen both m- movie versions of it. And I would say that the... Um, uh, my mind is so slow, today. Um The Russian movie version by one of my favorite, Ch- uh, Tarkovsky mm-hmm. is far <laughs> superior mm-hmm. To the um, more modern one, which might have been Jonathan Demme? I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, back to someone from Canada. I realized then that the scientists in the novel Solaris should have stopped trying to communicate with Solaris using x-rays. They should have used neutrinos instead.
1: Mm, very mm. good idea. Yeah.
0: Uh, if only you had been there, maybe you would not have gone mad <laughs> like the <laughs> what happens to the astronauts that no, orbit this I planet would have gone mad. I you would have gone mad, mad. Uh, and like the protagonist in the novel i still quote did not know what achievements what mockery even what tortures still awaited me wow. end quote so i had no choice but to keep listening to <laughs> what the if and find out <laughs> that's a direct quote
1: Works out pretty
0: well. uh, and he wraps up by saying, he or she, I'm sorry, someone wraps up, uh, P.S. If anyone is curious about Solaris, please read the novel. Okay. Note taken. Forget the movie Maladaptations. <laughs> they miss the point. They omit most of the sardonic parody of science and its limits. Huh? Oh. They miss the debate on whether we want to find just, quote, a mirror version of ourselves in space or to find actual alien aliens, and they miss the symmetries and the memoids. Whoa. How can you miss those massive visual things in a movie? Hey, what the if someone? <laughs> what the if he says, she says, it says. Some what the if someone finally made a proper Solaris movie?
1: That's just inconceivable.
0: Woo so um thank you someone from canada i don't know if they play that kind of music in canada but we we really appreciate it and now the if of the week comes to us from charlie uh charlie's a native new yorker but living in knoxville tennessee very cool um I've been down to Knoxville and I believe it's, uh, it's kind of in them parts, uh, where the Jack Daniels distillery is, uh, in Lynchburg. Is that right? Um, again, the brain fart. I have not had enough Jack Daniels. My my grandfather drank Jack Daniels every day at four o'clock, so I had to visit there. Um, Charlie says, I was listening to a podcast that was discussing ants, A-N-T-S, not auntie and how they communicate to each other, much differently than humans do. And of course, I thought how weird it would be if humans never had language to communicate and relied on basic sounds, grunts, and maybe even hand claps. That's pretty much me in the morning. So I was thinking, what the if? Humans never developed language and relied solely on instincts and sounds like most animals. Would we create shelter? Would we clothe ourselves? Would we pass down information to our children? Would we ever advance as a civilization? Charlie says, I continue to enjoy your episodes. Thanks. And thank you, Charlie. So, Gabby, what do you think?
2: I So when we got this one, I got immediately super stoked because one of the laboratories... So first of all, when he said ants, there is a lab here at Rockefeller that studies ants and ant communication, the Cronauer Lab. They're super cool.
0: What's it but called again? Cro-
2: the Cronauer Lab.
0: Cronauer Lab. All right. Yeah. And, That's a great um, name for a science fiction (laughs) (laughs) lab.
1: Sure. (laughs) Uh,
2: But the other lab, uh, the Jarvis lab, actually studies something called vocal learning in birds. And so vocal learning is basically what gives us our ability for language. And we are not the only species with something that can kind of be considered a language or at least a more advanced form of communication. Um, So that would include uh, us, songbirds. Um, I think to some extent... Uh, seals Um, Mm. some lower primates it's debated whether or not they have vocal learning abilities at least to a little extent because monkeys raised in different areas can be seen like imitating the calls of other monkeys Mm. Um, I think another one of the ones that's on the fence that people are investigating more is actually mice Uh, Mm. Mice, because they make limited um, songs used in like mating calls and stuff like that Um, but Vocal learning, uh, just to kind of give you a definition, is, I feel like it's better as an analogy. If you dropped a dog and a baby on separate deserted islands, Correct. and you sounds came like back to them, and the baby was magically cared for by uh, non-speaking wood nymphs, um, and is now a teenager, the dog would have all of the sounds that you would expect from a dog used in exactly the same context. It would bark at things it doesn't like, and growl at things that threaten it, And you know, still wag its tail at things that make it happy, but the person would never randomly pick up a language because language is not innate to human beings; it's learned. But the human would still do all of the things that you would expect from humans, like cry, because that's an innate sound, um, or probably yell and shout. uh, But there just wouldn't be any words to it. So vocal learning is the process of you know, sort of learning a separate. Um, system, the coordination of, you know, hearing those sounds and then learning how to make those sounds uh, yourself. Whoa. Well,
0: first of all, let's say, it's maybe not dropped, but, but if if a dog and a baby were each gently placed yeah. on totally isolated, abandoned uh, islands in the Pacific.
2: Yeah, it makes it better that we're leaving a child completely unattended. If we don't just drop them there, we gently place them. If
0: we gently. <laughs> so it's not our fault. We're done. Our job is done. Maybe we leave them a
1: a test. So I got to ask the the irritating question, which is what do we mean by communication here? Um, Is this a well-defined term?
2: I would argue it's not because there are some animals that don't have a complicated language in the way that we would think it, but Mm -hmm. they have very, very specific calls where they can essentially, like a certain call means fox or some other predator, as opposed to another one. Um, Not just, you know, ah, screaming. They're they're a little bit more specific, but they're all innate.
1: So how do we tell the difference between those? Like, why doesn't a a call meaning fox, like, count as communication?
0: And Matt, if you just want to get a little closer to you.
2: Maybe its ability to express an abstract idea, is what we say, okay. it's like something that's not directly in front of you, mm-hmm. uh, because it would be difficult for, say, a mouse who has a call for something that or something that's going to come eat me. I don't think mice do. Um, but it would be very difficult for that mouse uh, to explain quantum physics to another mouse, um, despite the fact that it has a perfectly good call for boot or something else.
1: hmm <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so it couldn't express love to another mouse.
2: No, it could not Romeo and Juliet on a uh, subway platform.
0: Well, that that might explain something about mice, why they're all just, you know... Or cranky. Well, yeah, and just snacking all the time. I mean, <laughs> got nothing <laughs> going on. Um, I, th- I suppose this has something to do with The very with this a bit well, big part about of this has to do with evolution, of course, right? As everything does. But it's interesting when you mention the baby on the island has the has all this whatever, all this capacity or all these uh, systems, these subroutines and things like that built in, so to speak. But nothing comes along to teach them. So it sounds to me like what that must mean is. Well, just tell us to some degree, either either of you maybe have some sense of. At some point, humans did only speak with grunts, right? And there was some transition. And the fascinating thing about that, I mean, that is a. I know there's also a bit of a mystery there. Nobody exactly knows how that got started. But what's interesting to me is that our current language absolute well our our ability to have language whether you know however however many languages are being spoken right now and totally depends on the next generation learning those languages and keeping it going because what you're saying is if somebody gets knocked uh, off the grid so to speak is that mm-hmm. baby who was put on, on an island and uh, by themselves they will start from They'll be starting from scratch as if they were living millions of years ago.
1: Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a well-known philosopher, uh, Wittgenstein, who spent some time thinking about this problem of could you have a language spoken by only one person? Um, Mm -hmm. And so you could have a person who makes certain sounds. um, uh, And those sounds may even refer to a particular object or abstract idea, um, but he made the case that the, the essence of language is that there's another person to hear and understand what is being said. Um, so it's sort of, it, it can't, so sort of by definition, um, the baby on the island uh, cannot be speaking a language. They might make sounds, um, but they'll never actually be conveying uh, information, Should be the, the critical point.
0: And they wouldn't even be
1: structuring that
0: like, it, it seems like it depends on, you know, the whole point of the structure, I suppose, of language or the, is, is that you need to communicate something. So there's a huge feedback loop of like, is that person or is that other creature understanding yeah, what right. I'm saying? If not, we have mm-hmm. to come to, it's almost like two computers, uh, when two modems connect for the first time, they have mm-hmm. to do like a handshake and say, okay, this this is how we're going to speak. This is the protocol.
1: What? yeah, that's right. So one, of your, something yeah, just yeah. happened.
2: No, I had to sneeze and I had to move away. I'm sorry, <laughs> it didn't actually end up happening. That's the reason for all of the silence. <laughs> it's
0: very dramatic. There may be great eureka moments that came out of that. You mm-hmm. know, Newton sat back and everybody leaned forward and <laughs>
1: sneezed waiting. out calculus. I don't. <laughs> um, but so this, this um tags one of the big questions in linguistics uh, generally, which is how much of language is um, biologically structured into our brains uh, and how much is cultural. Um, right. Right. And this is hard to, to answer. Um, so for instance, you've got people like um, Noam Chomsky who argue that there's a universal kind of structure that is built into our brains, and that all languages eventually come down to some variation on that biological structure. Um, uh, but there's lots of people who are skeptical of that too, and want to say that, no, there's actually an enormous amount of freedom that humans have in terms of how to structure a language and still convey things. Um, and all the way back to Darwin, um, it's a, a lot of people think that the a, a way to access this argument is to look at Um, other forms of communication. So let's look at those borderline critters that can make sounds, and the sounds do seem to convey information, but at the same time, we don't really want to say that they have language. Um, And maybe those border cases can help us understand things a little bit better.
2: Well, I will say it is interesting from the bird world. So if you look at vocal learning in songbirds, um, adult songs have structure. And while every bird song will be slightly kind of different, which is, you know, how you get the variability in which bird song sounds a little bit, you know, sexier than the other ones. Um, overall, the birds will generally, by learning from another older bird, fit a pattern. But if they don't have another older bird to learn from, they, they won't pick up any structure. Um, and if you want, I have fun recordings of that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'd love a, sh- not really show and tell, this would be sound and tell. <laughs> Sound and tell. Okay.
2: Yeah, so this is normal singing from an adult zebra finch. And this is what this normally sounds like. Fair warning, it's a little weird.
0: This is happening right outside your window right now?
2: Is yeah, it- you know, I've got, you know, got a, like a cage full of zebra finches. I've had them, you know, like I, I made like a command for them to all be quiet right now. Now I'm about to, you know, make this start being loud commands. Amazing. Let's see. That is an adult zebra finch. Wow. Adult, adult zebra, zebra finch. finch. <laughs> All
0: right. Do we know what a yeah. zebra finch looks like, an adult zebra finch?
2: Yeah, so they're kind of um, brown. They've got, like, stripy heads. Uh, okay. I, they're worth a Google. They, you know, they're, they're finches, so they have sort of, like, the general finch archetype. They look very much like the little finches you'll see outside, but just different color patterns. And they're very small. And what's cool is young birds babble. Kind of like babies. So they just sort of make noise that doesn't really have structure yet. Uh so this is a 38-day old juvenile babbling baby zebra finch. <laughs> it's just kind of just kind of fuzz. It's white noise. It doesn't really, doesn't really Right, move. right. Yeah,
0: yeah, that made no sense. Whereas the adult, I really was very I thought that the adult was very eloquent. and was making a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah
2: very well stated. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, there's a teenager phase too. It's called plastic song. And that's, Ooh. you know, they, they get Ooh. very variable. Uh, but it starts to get a little bit closer to the adult song. So that's this dude. Just... And in case you want a reminder, the adult singing is this. Come so you start on. hearing some okay. of the similar notes get put in there. Yeah. And so there is a process of learning the structure of a song Like there would be in the structure of a language, even by other vocal learners that don't speak what we would consider maybe formal language.
0: Yeah. So it sounded like, with the, it's interesting when you played the adult one again, you hear the adult, it almost like repeats the same phrase. (laughs) Um, Whereas the baby was just all over the place and the teen (laughs) had little snippets of Of a pattern. pattern. Yeah, fascinating. Well, and that's so with, yeah.
1: with human babies, when they babble, it's it's clear that they're trying to imitate sounds and phrases that they hear, uh, mm-hmm. even if they're not able to. Um, does that happen with the the baby birds as well, that they're consciously trying to well, I don't know consciously, like, but they're trying to imitate their parents?
2: Yeah, yeah. And so if you don't actually ever give them a an adult zebra finch, they won't they won't have anything to base their song off of. So they won't get those those nice patterns. And actually, the people who do this uh, sort of neuroscience have actually figured out specific parts of the brain that if you mess with them, then they can't actually develop those structures in the song. Um, So there are clear centers where, you know, the brain does handle language and specifically the interface between, you know, understanding it and processing that this is something interesting and then actually like, you know, speaking it out. Oh wow! It's a very okay. interesting system. I'd encourage like anyone if you're curious about it to just like do some more digging. I live and work around like oh, like most of my friends are from the Jarvis Lab, and they are just really cool people to talk to. There's someone there doing dolphin language, really cool. Oh, wow! Really okay. cool.
0: Now, can they talk like a dolphin?
2: Oh my god, no! The professor that, <laughs> that does this work, he has the single most convincing dolphin whistle I've ever heard in my life. I heard him speak once, and he just did it. And I thought he was playing a recording. It's actually terrifying. But yes, yes. If you hear Marcello speak, he does sound, it does sound a little bit like an aquarium because he'll just dolphin whistle.
0: And and, and I guess, I'm going to guess that for sure, if you were studying animal languages and then you started to, you know, be able to speak like them or somewhat anyway, the amazing test would be when you go to be with those animals, if you can, And make those sounds and see what do they do. So is he able to interact with dolphins in any way?
2: So it turns out they have a lot of very, very, very high-pitched sounds that we can't hear or even really make. So unfortunately, no. But I don't know if you just sat him next to an aquarium and he started making dolphin whistles. Would they look at him a little bit weird? Like, what? What? It's a little bit like if uh, if you've ever heard like a crow mangle its way through language, if there's like a dolphin equivalent of that, where it's like, I can tell you're speaking to me, but I don't know what. It's just kind of freaking me out.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> right.
0: So Char- Charlie asks, Charlie's if was, what the if we spoke with, we spoke only at the level uh, that language I'm uh, sorry, the animal's are speaking, whatever you want to call that, whether it's language or proto-language or so forth. Um, and so, what would that be like? Would we... Um, humans reach that phase, right? I, I'm going to assume that humans, Homo sapiens, in, in the course of their evolution, passed through that phase, right? And and they let's say they stopped. So automatically let's say that that means something about the brain right that the uh whatever the runaway uh uh, evolutionary effect on the brain was when language developed by the way um which uh that was mentioned uh you you mentioned noam chomsky matt and uh, Mm -hmm. i will refer our listeners to an excellent documentary uh by michelle gondry actually who's not really known so much as a documentary filmmaker he also makes music videos, and some great just movie movies. Um, but uh, he made a movie about Noam Chomsky called uh, what was it, Is the Man Who is Happy, Happy? Uh, look at that. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be a great title. I'm, I'm, I'm stealing that for myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Gondry's film is Is the Man Who is Tall, Happy? yeah and well, I mean,
1: Chomsky is pretty tall so yeah. yeah
0: that's right but i think in chomsky's research he that, that is like an example of a kind of phrase that he um he deals with a lot and they deal with they kind of you know you can imagine there's things in that you can imagine that sentence well it refers to different you can you can interpret it in different ways right um so uh Charlie okay, says. So, yeah. So yeah. if we're
1: just communicating the way, say, the zebra finches. Deer, yes. Um, early on in life, it sounds like it wouldn't be so different. Right. The babies would still be babbling and the parents would still be talking to them to give them sounds. Uh, and I should say as a side note here, um, this is why you should talk to babies, even though they don't talk back to you, is that oh. they are listening and this is actually how they learn. So just sit with your babies and talk to them no matter what. Uh, it doesn't matter what you say. Uh, it doesn't really matter how you say it. I used to read um, quantum physics texts to my daughters, <laughs> um, and now Zoe's at Bronx Science. So that's,
2: uh, play, play, play. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I will admit the caveat is though you actually you have to look at them. So this was a funny thing. My parents were both New Yorkers, and so they talked really fast, and they didn't always look at me when I as a baby. So I developed a little bit of a speech impediment as a kid. Oh. Uh, because I didn't know, I didn't have a visual reference for how to form the words, like the way that my lips should be. And then, of course, they took me to a speech therapist. And because my name is Gabby, and I live up to it, and I don't shut up, I <laughs> got out of it in about like I think like a month. Um,
1: that's great. But
2: it was yeah, it was definitely an exercise in vocal learning in our family.
1: Nice. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. Look your babies in the face and talk to them a lot.
0: Wow. Anything. And your, the, to your parents' credit, they. I'm assuming you haven't just outed them.
2: Oh, no, no, no. no. child services. No, they were they great. They were like, yeah, they phoned it in. They were like, hey, she's not really talking right. We should fix this because they could understand me. Um, you know, me and my thick New York baby accent. Uh, <laughs> that's not <laughs> what, what is I a Baby
0: New York accent.
2: Yeah. Uh, but no, they, they were immediately like, oh, hey, like this is not quite right. We should figure out what's up. And then the speech therapist told them that it was probably what it was. Um, wow. And then, you know, because that's they great. do talk to me so much afterwards, it was just like a matter of staring me in the face a little bit more often and I think kid Gavin figured it out so
0: (laughs) that's real But that's really interesting considering that you know one of your many interests but is science communication yes maybe that's there's something there um very cool so yeah so humans are this is where humans are at right they're they're
1: Um, We can't Mm -hmm. – what is it we're not able to do? Yeah, so the babies are are babbling, right? They're making sounds. And then at some point, presumably, they're not going to be doing a thing that we would have otherwise expected them to do. So what is that point? Are they not able to say when they're hungry? Um, Is it when they're in college and they can't recite the Iliad? What's the (laughs) – What's the point where we can tell there's something different going on? Well, they just cry all the time as adults, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think so. I think the overall structure of our societies might be a little different because you can't have some forms of communication without what you would consider classical language. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, crows are still very good at teamwork. They do pass information to each other Ooh. about this bad, this good. But generally, at a certain age, they're more independent. They hang out. You know, baby, younger crows visit their parents um, very much like us. Uh, but at the same time that they're not building skyscrapers, they're still each struggling through the day-to-day to survive because they don't yet have the language or their tool making hasn't advanced enough um, to figure out how to cast steel and build skyscrapers
0: but boy we're they're working defeated. on it they're working yeah, on it they're watching yeah. the crows outside the steel plant are watching yeah Figure that's all out. yeah um so so the fun thing about what the if and i think this is i'm going to guess this is a little bit of what charlie's getting at too is it's kind of bizarre i, I think what's fun is to imagine that we got to where we're at in some ways Right. So one reason, one, one, one answer to this, if one of the paths this if may have taken um, was, well, humans are just remained as animals and, you know, they they live like apes or, you know, do that. They have what they have. Right. Um, because clearly we're the only ones that, as far as we know, have language and we're the only ones that do build skyscrapers, for instance, for better or worse. So some. Yeah. The thumbs, right? That's right. That's right. Um, and there is a question, isn't there even about whether le- that th- there's a feedback loop perhaps between, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure that Chomsky talks about this in that Gondry film, but there possibly was a feedback loop between the ability to use tools and language and back. And yeah, forth, back that's and
1: forth. right. I mean, these are really fundamental questions about what it means to be human. Um, right. so some people want to make the case that, um, humans have to evolve a particular structure and then they can have language. Or maybe it's that pushing on the edges of proto-language changes our brains and physical structure such that we then become human in the way we're used to. Right, um, right. And that's a hard, it's hard to tease out things that happened millions of years ago.
2: And so, it is weird because ahead. very intelligent animals that we like, animals that we've identified as very intelligent, it does tend to correlate that they, are vocal learners, or at least in some capacity. Um, like, I know elephants, it's yeah. a bit debated right now, but surprisingly, elephants can mimic human speech. It's not super common, but some of them have done it. There is a elephant, I think, in a zoo in Korea, that by sticking his trunk in his mouth, he yeah. can terrifyingly imitate human speech. Um, so stuff like that, it might, it might be correlated. Don't <laughs> know if we so know exactly bad. how that links to to uh, intelligence.
0: The, the better, the even crazier thing about that elephant thing is that how did he i don't know the whole story like how did he figure out well it, i have to put my trunk in my mouth to sound like you stupid humans you don't know?
2: have no idea but it's actually freaky i i found out about it, and i was listening to the audio recordings that are along with the paper uh i think it's like a cell publication wild i can link it after the show because highly encourage people to listen to an elephant say on young it's it's fascinating. Very, very deep voice, kind of nasally. Unsurprisingly, you're
0: probably going to be the next pop star. Uh, yeah, a yeah, uh, K-pop, uh, E-pop, <laughs> Elephant Pop. Um, there is also <laughs> on YouTube. Boy, you know how it is on YouTube. You watch one video of a particular kind, and if you happen to watch it all the way through, YouTube is like, "Oh, you like that?" Yeah. And I watched one video of a parrot, you know, speaking because it is amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Imitating, as far as we know, but whatever. Uh, And man, I got served up well. There is some astounding
1: stuff. You watch those too? No, I'm saying you have no choice but to watch those on YouTube now. That's right. Now,
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah, watch it on YouTube. That's right. Yeah, watch it on YouTube. Uh, There is a parrot. There's a a guy who, wailing away on his electric guitar sitting next to his fireplace playing I believe a Guns N' Roses anthem and the parrot is singing the whole thing going <laughs> it's really a um so humans have gotten to this place so here, here's my image of, of, of what Charlie might have been imagining somehow we got to this this world that we in that we have everything is as we see it except we're really limited, and so there are adaptations we've had to make to get things done. So I just had an image. I don't know how this could have happened. Uh, my brain made an interesting uh, uh, editorial choice and said, "Well, what do we see? Well, imagine we are looking at the. Uh, I imagined the president giving the State of the Union address. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> talking about babies, mm-hmm. babbling. And so imagine something like that, right? The the president is giving the state of the union address to our Congress. But we only have um a level of an, a level of speech that let's say the zebra finch. For, do we have any zebra finch sounds queued up? Maybe we can hear just a little bit of his if he's an adult.
2: Yeah, let, let's see. Uh from the uh office of the president. President uh, Finch. We've got uh
0: uh, we've got to send this episode to Dr. Kiki, I believe. It. Oh, that's I'm sorry. The but play, it.
1: The, play that again. I stepped on. it. Yeah, that's right. the State of the Union is strong. Yeah,
2: yeah. it's a very good. Yeah, state of the union. yeah. <laughs> I'd feel comfortable if that was uh, the State of the Union. I don't know what it means, but I'd be like, all right, cool.
0: Uh, right now, now, but but what? Again, this is as far as we know. What kind of messages do, for instance, the finches convey with those sounds? Like um, warning?
2: I believe it's most, I mean, that I think is mostly a, like, mating song. Um, <laughs> but So the, there's a
0: scandal immediately
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: because mm-hmm. the president <laughs> did a mating song from the podium.
2: I admittedly don't know the extent of zebra finch vocalization. Right. Right. Um, but some vocal learning birds like I said, can do you know specific calls for specific dangers. Um, I mean parrots are excellent mimics um, so they'll just pick up a new language kind of. Um, but I do kind of like the idea of you know, what could we still transmit because it's yeah. interesting to answer the question of well, in this situation would we still be vocal learners mm-hmm. because I think there's something to be said for even if say we had some sort of you know, giant panda-like thing where pandas can still digest meat, but they lost the taste for it. If we still have the ability for vocal learning, but we somehow lost the vocality of it, lost the ability to map that pension for language onto actual spoken sound, would we be an inherently more sign language-focused, oh. um, you know, society? So radio probably would have never worked for us, but television is a great boon because we can all see... Signs. So, if we still have a head for some sort of language, then we could probably manage okay, and that would make sense why we've still been able to transfer information to each other and share, you know, technology and you know, knowledge of how to build skyscrapers. If we are down to straight grunts and claps and nonsense, I don't know. It, It would be it would be a little bit hard. It'd be a little hard.
0: But for instance, beavers build dams, right? And birds build nests. Mm -hmm. Animals and and ants build uh, ant hills and etc. And uh, by the way, shout out to, from our previous episode, the uh, naked mole rats build tunnel systems. So animals do construct things. Um, Go ahead.
2: All of those are actually innately coded. So it's really interesting is, unfortunately I can't remember the researcher's name, um, but there was a researcher whose lab was looking at Two species, two closely related species of burrowing mice, which create different layouts of tunnel. And they eventually located one gene that if they changed it, they could get one mouse to, to make the other species' layout of tunnel. And so these genes, you know, these genes or, or neural circuits are can be surprisingly robust uh, for complicated behaviors. So, for example, there is, I think it's called a weaver bird? There's a bird that can sew, and it sews itself a nest with like a cover uh, out of leaves and a needle from like out of its beak. It literally sews. Um, so we might still have some complicated behaviors, but I wonder if for all of this, you know, for all of us to each have skyscraper building and chemistry and biology yeah. and customer service and driving. And everything that we can do, we might need a little bit more brain size than we currently have. All of that's innate.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love the idea of like skyscraper building being innate. They just they just do it naturally. <laughs> um, I mean, in a stro- that again, this whole business about language, we're always sort of walking on sort of very we're grasping for to, to understand something that isn't fully understood, but. Is it possible that at some abstract level we do have an innate thing? We seem to have an innate thing for travel. We have an innate, you know, in other words, for like exploration, uh, innate thing for building, uh, frankly, an innate need for, I don't know, uh, conflict. But, but I suppose that's across.
2: I mean, the I think innate in the style that I'm saying is more yeah. genetically pre programmed.
0: Right. I think definitely
2: right. as a s- series of societies, we have all of these things. And maybe curiosity is something that is innately programmed in humans. Mm. Maybe we mm. have a nice positive feedback loop where the first monkey to get really curious and eat that stripy yeah. fruit actually wound up not dying from the stripy fruit and, you know, <laughs> got big and strong and had a lot of children because that fruit was everywhere or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe.
0: Well, of course, you can see in cats. The cat, curiosity got the cat that they're very explorational. Okay.
1: Um, yeah, so we've got... So let's see here. So what can we do? So we're, if we're at the level of birds, we can still um, tell each other where food is. We have family relationships, right? You said babies go and visit their, their parents. Um, mm-hmm. We can have sex. Um, we can... I don't know. At least um, we can... Are we... <laughs> I guess this gets into the the abstract question. Can we just entertain each other? Will we talk just for the sake of talking <laughs> the way we do now? Can we have coffee clutches?
0: Now, we as a storyteller, I was just going to say, as a storyteller, and I've studied you know, myths and the earliest, earliest stories that are always interesting to go to, um, I'm going to guess actually that that is one of the, earliest things about people that they, they they entertained each other probably just through music and sound and silliness and it evolved into a little bit of storytelling um but what, what were we gonna say Gabby?
2: oh no i was gonna say i definitely second that like yeah. cave paintings we know that yeah. we taught art classes to children because there are tiny baby handprints that are up way 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 too high what? for a child and so we know that that kid was either held up or on somebody's shoulders so that they could draw and paint on the walls of caves. I didn't Which know that. It's so cool. It's like mm-hmm. fundamental to being a human that, we, yeah. you know, we play with kids and we teach them stories.
0: Yeah. You know, this is real, this really touches on something very close to my heart, obviously, because I make movies, the visual language, right? I mean, what well, it's this is a whole nother topic. i actually might, might be interesting what they have at some point, but uh, you know, we deal with the, 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 some people will say the purest form of cinema is just the visual language and um that yeah we eventually got sound recording and we do have people talk in them but really the purest form is those silent movies that didn't even have um title cards in them right and we can convey quite a lot by just looking at images um which says an enormous amount um might we have developed Almost a pure, purely visual language. It's that when you say sign language, it's a little bit like that, right? Well, well so here we're talking we're, about is abstraction. The actual symbols, right? Eventually, you get hieroglyphics yeah. and things. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. but I think you're talking about something that's actually a really good point that I wasn't thinking of. So, body language is innate,
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh. and
2: we're very good at reading body language, even if we don't necessarily think we are. And I think there was a study at one point that was trying to look at, you know. Are all of these facial expressions learned or are they actually something that, you know, we have? But for the most part, if you smile at someone on any corner of the world, they know what that means Mm -hmm. Uh, or feel like grimace or wince or, you know, there are very few, I think, truly unique to one culture um, body language things. Um, So that might actually help to convey a surprising amount. Because dogs can kind of communicate with each other perfectly fine through, you know, body language, maybe not enough to build the city, but, you know, mm-hmm. one dog can send pretty clearly, hey, back off, or hey, we're friends, uh, and they can still communicate that way.
1: Yeah, and this again goes back to, to Darwin. Darwin was trying to figure out this question for exactly these same reasons that we're interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he writes a book called Expression of Emotions um, in Man and Animals, in which he tries to figure out which... Bits of body language and facial expression are universal, and which ones aren't. Um, and one of the things he comes up with is smiling, laughter seems to be universal, um, but then things like um, you know nodding your head for agreement is not universal. <laughs> um, so it's a super interesting book, and also really creepy because it's one of the first books to have a series of photographs in it, um, because he wanted to get photographs of people having these emotions. Um, So that you could see what he was talking about. Um, And so they actually have fake emotions, like the the photographs of people with being forced to smile, like someone's actually pulling on their face to get them into the right shape. It's a really unsettling. Series of, of photographs. Now, why did they do, they couldn't find someone to just because this was because 1870s photographic technology is can't capture something as quick as a smile. Um, so they would force the person to to hold that expression for long enough to have a, a photograph exposure.
0: That's sounds really, amazing. Pretty wild. Yeah. I, can't, I think David Lynch should adapt it's to that. It's totally
1: Lynchian. <laughs>
0: um, What's the name of the book again?
1: uh expression of emotions in man and animals
0: expression of emotions in man and animals Mm
1: um that's good fun probably available at bookstores everywhere uh probably Probably not not. unfortunately but i'll put somewhere online we'll see if our intern can find it
2: there's got to be a a pdf you you know i think i think it might have fallen out of uh copyright just just a little bit ago Mm -hmm. just a little bit ago
1: (laughs) but
0: yeah and those people they're not getting their royalty checks
2: anymore (laughs)
0: I sat for two hours, my face being pulled, it was horrible. I've been dead for a hundred years, but. Yeah, where's my money? Um, amazing, amazing. And the last thing I'll, I'll just say is I'll just put it out there. Another interesting what the if would be music, right? Music, music. which by the way, Matt, you were talking about he was looking for whether facial expressions were universal. Music is not really... I mean, music itself is universal, but...
1: Obviously, but all over the world, different right, kinds of music. music. Right? I mean, depending on what kind of musical scale you're used to, yeah. Um, Western music versus Chinese music sounds really different. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. But you can imagine that with, who knows exactly? But I imagine with, without the kind of language we do have, music might still have evolved as a thing. So it's possible. For instance, we'll 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 leave the president with more dignified. Um, uh, image that maybe he got up there and he played the violin. And and in doing so, or played let's say even better, he played the saxophone. Uh, yeah. I remember someone mm-hmm. described a, a jazz musician once describing, you know, like um um Coltrane. John Coltrane would get up there with the saxophone and he would tell stories. <laughs> I, I just remember as a kid hearing there for the first time like what <laughs> I he, really like the straight, he just plays day. a saxophone, but he would tell stories with his music.
2: Like, yeah. I like the concept of a saxophone state of the union, if only because everything's yeah. going really bad. You could just hit one really, really bad sound and Kind of a mic drop.
0: Mm-hmm. Sax of the Union. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. That is a country I would live in. I mean, I think yeah, that, that might, be fun. Be, fun. Mm-hmm. It might make all of government more interesting. Everything has to be done with a band. Although if you know anything about musicians, I think uh, a, the fact that they could work together for any length of time um, without, you know, breaking up or sleeping with each other's partners and the whole thing just turning into a debacle is, uh, would be a pretty crazy form of government. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put that out there too. What yeah,
1: if, I'm, I'm totally okay with that though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Maybe it'd be fine. It'd be A little bit more free form. <laughs> Literally. Wow. Charlie, thank you for your question. Charlie from Knoxville, Tennessee, where, by the way, when they do speak their language in Knoxville, Tennessee, it is just it is a lovely sound. I love going down there. And of course, speaking of music, not too far from Nashville and all of Tennessee and that whole area. Um, Elvis Graceland, another great musical communicator out there sure. in uh, Memphis. Great, great people down there. Um, Gabby, thank you for taking us on this journey. Um, would you like to play let's let's have a let's let the um, the birds have the last say. And and by the way, let's say what what what's the website that you're playing that from this would be fun if people yeah, could so go this there. this is
2: from uh, auditoryneuroscience.com. Uh, I couldn't find the actual original paper that had these cuz I heard a scientist use these recordings uh, talking about the work from his own lab. Uh, okay. but they are great recordings and they also show um, what the song happens? What happens to the song if you start messing with the part of the brain that controls vocal learning? Oh, um, cool. So you'll get to see how you know the pro- a little bit about the process and a little bit about how that changes the way that birds learn. And so, uh, playing us out, I'm going to have the teenagers play us out. If that, if that, yeah,
0: helps. that's good. Oh, what's it called? Plastic language, plastic, plastic song, plastic song. Love it. That's great. You know what I think? I, I think I, they were saying the name of the show. Matt, do you have anything you want to plug?
1: Uh, no, not anything
0: nothing to plug. Gabby, anything you want to plug?
2: Not a plug for me. But if you're really interested in language, a book that I love was David J. Peterson, "The Art of Language Invention." I believe it is. Say and again. It's Sorry, it's like yeah. The Art of Language. In, I think it's Invention uh, uh-huh. by David uh, J. Peterson, and it's the um. Book by the guy who's made the languages for Dothraki, Valyrian, like basically any made-up language you've ever heard came from this one dude. And it's a fascinating dive into language, language structures, the way we make sounds. And I just highly encourage it as an interesting read, even if you have never want to make a language (laughs) ever. Oh,
0: that that sounds fantastic. Look that up. We'll have. our wonderful, we also have our, our incredible researcher, also named Gabby. She's doing a fantastic job. We'll have to get her on the show at one point. Um, but on whattheif.com, you can find all their episodes. And uh, Gabby, uh, Gabby V is adding all kinds of cool extra links for you to go to. So we'll put a link there for this uh, particular thing. You can see these recordings and, and all kinds of other stuff. Um, be like Charlie. Send in your ideas. What do you want to if? Uh, you can email us, feedback at whattheif.com or just go to our website whattheif.com right there on the front page Uh, or you know what, tweet us I don't know if anyone's actually, people tweet all kinds of things in our Twitter channel, whattheifshow at whattheifshow, also we're on Instagram we're newly reviving our uh, Instagram where we speak just through pictures Um, whattheifshow also on Instagram and whattheif on Facebook since we're Doing all the socials here, uh, Matt. Thinking of all these birds chirping and whatever, what? How, how does that lead us to our ritual?
1: Our well, I don't ritual? know if they'd understand us or not, but my urge would be to try and communicate the sheer number of things that they could be conveying with that song. Um, yeah. So I would probably uh, just try to shout.
2: Wallet,